I think one thing the Lord was really also wanting to communicate, I thought was pretty good, was, uh, well, it was the Lord, not just pretty good, but anything the Lord says is pretty good. But when Sarah was saying about having her miscarriage and losing her baby, I feel like the Lord wanted to, to encourage uh, families that had lost babies, you know, through whatever, whatever way this morning. And just, you know, bring that joy into your life and dance over the graves. And so, Lord, I just ask you to do that uh, for every person in this room that's lost a baby, maybe through abortion, Lord, or through, Lord, just miscarriages or babies that were lost after they were born, children that were lost after they were born. Lord, we are asking this morning for true healing, true healing, Lord. And we thank you for your healing mercy today. And, Lord, let us be able to dance over the graves, Lord, knowing, Lord, that those, those children are with you today, and they're safe, Lord. They're safe. And, Father, I just ask you for healed hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was, that was really the Lord, wasn't it? I uh, just wanted to give you, just real quick here, a couple of things um, that I felt the Lord was really trying to speak to us. Um, Friday night in our meeting, I, you know, God was really speaking to us, and I'm trying to be more, um, you know, responding to the Lord and not just letting the Lord speak and you just, you know, go on with your life. But a couple of things that, he, that really stood out to me is the Lord was really confirming our church's call to the gospel message. Um, and really, you know, the Lord spoke to us about going to the nations, which is something we've known and we've done, but also about ministering, ministering to the poor around you. And I think that's really something that God really wants to do, is He really wants, wants us to, to minister to the poor. And, and that, was, that was a real word that came. Um, another thing was um, that God was really asking us to evaluate our lives. And it, the word was, you know, what's in your hand? Uh, is, it, what, is it straw in your hand? In other words, what... What are you building in your life? Is it wood, hay, and stubble? Um, what do you have when everything's blown away? What's going to be left? Is, is it going to be the Lord? Or are you going to really have something that's real from God? Or is everything that you're doing in your life now, is it wood, hay, and stubble? And it would be God's mercy for Him to blow that away. And I feel on a practical level, you know, for we all need to evaluate our lives. And just ask the Lord. That can be, wood, wood, hay, and stubble can be anything. It doesn't have to be just sin. It can be just anything that's in your life. It's just not the Lord. I remember reading about a famous preacher who got a call one night to come to his church. His church was on fire. And as he poured into the driveway, the church was collapsing. It was burned down. And the Lord said to him, it's better for it to burn now than later. And he really saw, and that was a turning point in his life. His whole ministry changed. Uh, from that point on, because he had knew, he known that what he had built up at that point was wood, hay, and stubble, and the Lord in His mercy burned it down. We need to really ask the Lord about those things. And we also saw the Lord was saying to people about having one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And I think there's many people in this room that have that affliction. Is you're trying to follow the Lord, but you still want the world. You know, and it just is not going to work. And the Lord's saying you've got to get your feet both on the rock. Or you're going to fall. You're going to, you're going to fall. And uh, uh, one thing that was really profound, uh, there was a vision of the uh, American flag back from the colonial era 
which had the 13 stars on it. And it, the interpretation came up that there was the motto of the Revolutionary War was uh, one, was this right? One king? No king? No king but King Jesus. No king but King Jesus. And that was really the roots of our nation. And we, you know, we have gotten away from that as a nation. And, but forget the nation, we as people. That's really who God's speaking to. He's speaking to us, not go out and try to fix the world. But God's speaking to us, you know, that we would have no king but King Jesus. And that's what our spiritual roots really are all about, getting back to what God's called us to be and who God's called us to be. And that was the cry. And many people gave their life in this nation for that very thing in that Revolutionary War, that they wouldn't be ruled by a tyrant, but they'd be ruled by the Lord Jesus. And that blood is still crying out to the Lord today. And I think we have to respond to those things. We have to hear that God's speaking to us. And the last thing, uh, probably not the last thing that was said, but, um, well, there was a real emphasis on the Word of God. um, That have we hidden the Word in our heart? If we lost the Bible... If it was taken away from us, like it is in many, in, in at least 200 million people's lives in the world today that don't have a Bible, Christians, and would we have anything? What would we have? In other words, have we hidden the Word of God in our life? And, you know, that God was really emphasized that we need, that's the one thing we need in our hearts is His Word. And then I think the last thing was, was, was that the Lord was going to suddenly appear. And when He appears, at first it's going to be frightening. And I believe that is the Word of the Lord. The Lord's going to bring godly fear on the church. He's going to show up one day, and, and we're going to know this is the Lord. And when He comes, there's going to be pure fear, good fear, though, God fear. But then it's going to turn into delight. It's going to turn into joy because of the presence of the Lord. So I think those are just some important things. I just wanted to pass them along, you know, because I believe they were in the Lord, and I don't want to keep you all from hearing things that God's saying. Here's what we are powerful in the spirit realm. We are powerful in the spirit realm. When we're in the flesh, we're just like everybody else. We're, we're in a mess. Amen? Y'all good? Turn that thing on. But I want to... Um, if you remember last week, I talked to you about the uh, second coming of Christ. And I want to just review just a couple things that I said last week. Uh, and then I want to share a few more things. Um, and I've talked to you about there being four streams of the gospel, four aspects of the gospel. Number one, the death of Christ. And I'm not going to go back and read the scriptures I gave. It was Ephesians 2.13 about the blood of Jesus. That's, that is a very significant part of the gospel message, is the forgiveness of sin. But that's not the only part of the gospel message. There's the resurrection of Christ also. And that's Galatians 2.20. Is Christ living His life in us and through us. That's the, what the grace message is. And, you know... We, and, and as I mentioned, we all know Christians who got saved, and they got cleansed, they got washed, but they've really you know, never given their life over to Christ in the sense of letting Christ live His life through them, missing a big part of the gospel. And then the uh, next one, I can get this thing to go on, um, was the exaltation of Christ. Christ was raised from the dead. Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. And when He was, He poured out the Holy Spirit on the earth poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. And that is just as much as part of the gospel message as the blood is. It is a key part that we need the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on us. 
And those were like the three things in my life for years that really were sort of foundational. But then the Lord began to show me about the second coming of Christ being an essential part of the gospel message. In other words, I gave the example of the four chairs and, you know, uh, or the four legs on a chair. And if we're missing any leg, there's an instability. And I found as I have looked to the second coming of Christ, as I have pondered and really went to the Lord about the second coming of Christ, that He has brought something to me spiritually that I wasn't walking in before. Just like the blood brought something to me. The grace message brought something to me. The baptism, filling with the Holy Spirit has brought something to me. This is bringing something into my life. Now, this is interesting. This week, uh, I got a call from Jim Hill. He was asking me about a book. Uh, he wanted to borrow a Watchman Need book, and I was looking for it. And on the way of looking for it, I found this other book called The Fourfold Gospel by A.B. Simpson. And I, was, I don't even remember uh, this book being loaned to me. I just kept it. Lord bless the person. You know, I'm always fussing about people borrowing my books and not returning them. <laughs> but I had this book stashed down at the very bottom. I was down on my knees and I found it. I felt like the Lord was really confirming to me that this, this is right on. This is right on. And, and this, I just want to read what he said. Uh, this is A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, denomination. A real spiritual father. Really, you know, not just to the Christian Missionary Alliance, but a significant man. He said, The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a distinct important part of the apostolic gospel. Then he quotes Paul. I declare unto you the gospel, Paul says to the Corinthians. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And and then begins to tell them of the resurrection and second coming of Christ. I declare to you the gospel. And he talks about the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. That's what he goes on to say. It It is the glorious culmination of all other parts of the gospel. We have spoken of the gospel of salvation, but Peter says our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's 1 Peter 1.5. So, you know, it was an encouragement to me that uh, not only, and I, it's not just something I made up in other words, like there's these four streams of the gospel. It's something that Byron Wicker came up with. This was a, it's very biblical, and it was taught by church fathers. This is a very biblical uh, truth I'm telling you today, and we really need revelation on all four streams of these Gospels to be healthy. We need revelation on the second coming of Christ. We really do. And I talked to you about how I've always been turned off about the perverse messages that are out there being preached, the perverse doctrines about the second coming and how people get so warped But nonetheless, there's perverse doctrines about the blood. There's perverse doctrines about the grace of God. There's perverse doctrines about uh, the the, uh, baptism and the Holy Spirit. All these things are attacked. Of course the devil's going to attack them. He'd be a fool not to attack the gospel. He'd be a fool not to bring, uh, you know, diabolical uh, interpretations of the Scripture over the second coming. He'd be a fool not to. Of course he is. But we should not turn away from this and see that this is part of the gospel message. It really is. And we've got to really... This is what the Lord said to me. I'll just go ahead. Because I was sort of like, man, what did I get myself into, Lord? I don't... This is not what I want to do, Lord. There's more... You know, I can preach on the blood, Lord. Let me do that. I can preach on grace. I can preach on the Holy Spirit. But this is not something I necessarily would like to do. But this is what the Lord said to me. He said this to me. He said, you need to be equipped... You need to be equipped to engage the Antichrist spirit. And this is how, this is part of being equipped to engage the spirit. It's already at loose, the Bible says. It's an Antichrist spirit. It's loosed in the earth. 
He's loosed and, he has, and he's bringing deception. He, and that thing has been in operation from, you know, from the beginning. And the Lord went on to say, you either will become his prisoner or you're going to fight him. And that is the most powerful demonic force that has ever been released is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist spirit is alive, it's well. We, the Bible calls it a spirit of lawlessness. And, and I believe, you know, the Lord was just telling me, you've got to do this. You've got to, you know, you've got to find out what the truth is. Find out what the Scripture really says. And that's how you are armed. That's how you are equipped did, to deal with these spirits. Just like Jesus did, you know, in Matthew 4 when the devil came to him. He was armed. He knew how to deal with the devil. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the importance of what I'm saying? That this really is the Word of the Lord. And the Lord really wants to release this to us. And the Lord wants to equip us to face, you know, a spiritual battle that's going on. And we either are going to engage in that battle or we're going to be prisoners of war in that battle. And I'm not, I'm not going for that prisoner of war stuff. Amen. Are you? Turn over to Matthew 24, verse 3. Let me read that. Uh, <clears throat> this is a question in Matthew 24, verse 3. And by the way, Matthew 24 and 25 are like the mini version of the book of Revelation. If you want to do, read the condensed version of Revelation, it's pretty condensed, you know, in these, in these uh, two chapters. This is Jesus' version. Paul, or John expounded upon it later. It says this, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, uh, t- t- saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's are legitimate questions that every disciple, I believe all of us at some point will be curious about this. We would want to know, Lord, when are you coming back? What is the truth about this, you know? And really the Lord's the person to go to ask these questions, not the movies, you know, not books, you know. You know, there's nothing wrong with movies and books per se, but those are not the places we need to find the answer to these questions. We need to find them in the Bible, really. And the Lord begins to answer the question. Okay, verse 4. This is, uh, they ask him a question. He starts to answer the question. Okay, so that would be sort of like, okay, let's find out what Jesus said about this. This is what he said. And Jesus answered to them and said this, Take heed that no one deceives you. First thing he says. Take heed that no one deceives you. In other words, Jesus was saying, um, the end times, in the second coming, the rapture, all these things, one of the characteristics of it is going to be deception. Right? That's what he was saying. You've got to be, be careful because you could be deceived. And he actually says that in verse 11. I'm not, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it. You can read the Bible. It says the same. It says, well, I'll read it. Then many false prophets will rise up and, what, deceive many. That's verse 11. And then verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We're the elect, by the way. So you see, deception is a very clear, clear characteristics of the end times and about end times events. There's a lot of deceptions. And if you begin to study the Bible, you realize a lot of stuff that's being said has this spirit of deception on it. I, th- I really believe that. So he was warning us about deception. Now, t- hold your place right there and turn over to 2 Thessalonians. And let's just read, uh, just right quick, what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 through 3. And by the way, First and Second Thessalonians are like the two, you know, two, like Paul's eschatology. 
is those two books. He goes through and explains his eschatology, his view of the end times, Paul's view, which, of course, is 100% accurate, you know, since it was Paul, since it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. Now, brethren, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. All right, those are two events, okay, that he's talking about. The coming of the Lord and our gathering together to Him. Our gathering together to Him is what we have termed to be the rapture. Okay, rapture, the word is not found in the Bible, but that's what it is. More of a, it comes from a Latin word. But gathering together to the Lord is where they get the term rapture. So rapture is not a bad word. It's biblical in the sense that the Bible talks us being gathered to the Lord. Some people think it's bad. So, so Paul here is addressing the same questions that um, 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 Jesus was addressing to his disciples. And, and Paul, this word ask, I think uh, some Bibles use, uh, some translations use beg. Some, some tra- beseech. It's a very strong word when Paul was saying, in fact, Paul was making a, it, it, what it means is put a matter before someone for their consideration by making an earnest appeal to them. And like Paul was saying, listen, you've got to listen to what I'm saying. This is very important that you hear what I'm, I ask you to listen to me. I ask you to hear me what I'm going to say to you about the end times. You know, so he was really, it was a, it's a forceful word. Ask there's not like, hey, how you doing? I mean, no, this is something more powerful. Like he's like, man, you've got to listen to me. You've got to hear, hear it. Because so, he was concerned, it goes on in verse 2, let me read it, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as it is from, from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. See, the same thing, deception. Let no one deceive you. And he was concerned about people being deceived about the return of the Lord and about the rapture. Paul was concerned that they were going to be deceived about these things. So these are really important things. Okay, moving on. The way deception works. Okay, this is important. First of all, he says that you would not be shaken in mind. Okay, that's, the, that's where it starts at. It begins in our thinking, deception. And if, we, if the Lord's willing and we start talking about the Antichrist, you will see biblically that where the Antichrist is going to go after Christians is in their mind. That is where he's going to attack us at. Because ultimately he's after our hearts. But he, he knows he can't go right into our hearts to get us. If he get into our mind and get us thinking wrong, get us believing wrong, believing something that's not true, it ultimately winds up in our hearts and we believe in it from our hearts. And, and that's where it talks about the Antichrist taking the seat. I'll just tell you this, where it talks about him taking the seat of the throne of God in the very sanctuary of God. It's talking about our hearts, Christians' hearts. That's ultimately what he's going to go after, the Antichrist. He's going after my heart. He's going after your heart. It is a good word. And remember what we talked about for four months. September through December, we talked about our hearts. You know, God was even, and I wasn't thinking this, none of this connected, you know, but He was trying to get us now to get our hearts right and let Jesus Himself be at home in our hearts, rule in our hearts. Yet the Spirit of the Antichrist wants that same spot because He wants to be worshipped. He wants the same thing. You see? You see, you see what's going on? It's a great deception. And, you know, we'll, if the Lord's willing, we'll do that. But that's how it starts in your mind. Begin, what do you believe? You believe in Russia. It's a true statement. Then it goes on that we would not be troubled, disturbed, alarmed, fearful. That speaks of when it gets into your heart. You know, someone was saying to me recently, 
you know, about our emotions really are the, the voice of our heart. Our, and I really think that's the truth. And that's what Paul was talking about. You know, that we wouldn't get disturbed, we wouldn't get alarmed because something has gotten in us and has hurt us and disturbed us. And then he goes on and talks about three things. Number one, by spirit, by spiritual deception. False prophecy concerning the return of Christ and uh, the rapture. That was one of the ways this thing's going to work. There's going to be false prophecy. For all those who believe in prophecy, there's going to be some bad prophecy. Number two, by word. False teaching. And there is a lot of false teaching out there about the return of the Lord. There has been. There always has been. There always will be. You see what I'm saying? And then the last thing he, he talked about is by letter. And I'm saying, you know, he said by letters. Well, we can say by books, by movies, by the Internet. Read all that stuff that's out there, and you would be shocked at some of the beliefs that are put across as being biblical that are nowhere near biblical. It's all a deception. It's all a diabolical scheme to get to us and, you know, mess us up. And that was what Paul was, was talking about. And then I think one of the great examples of this uh, was the Y2K deal. You know, people became very alarmed, very disturbed about something that wasn't even true. wasn't even true. It didn't happen. You know, you had people prophesying all this stuff about, you know, this is going to, these things are going to happen and we're going to go, we're going to go back to an agrarian society in America because everything's going to collapse, the whole deal. I mean, it's crazy. And then people, but once you get into an emotional state, you start doing things, your emotion starts taking over, and you do things emotionally that just don't, like, why would we do such crazy stuff? You know, and then in the end, when it didn't happen, then guys didn't even apologize to the body of Christ over it and say, well, we were wrong. We missed it. We're sorry. We repent. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. They led a lot of people astray, and they made a lot of money on books and stuff, piles of money on frozen food and or, you know, sun-dried food, all that stuff. I mean, and Lord bless you if you got into it. I mean, that's, that's nothing wrong. We've all been led astray. In fact, use it as a learning tool. You know, use it to say, man, you know, I got burned on that, but I got out scot-free. <laughs> you know, next time, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in touch with what you say. Amen? All right, what does the Bible say about the second coming? Okay, there's just a couple things I want to... Share with you. Go back to Matthew 24. I know it's getting late, but this is, I just really want this, at least two things I want really for you to know this morning. Um, but let me read this Matthew 24, verse 36. And this is Jesus. And listen, we can't argue with Jesus. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Of that day and hour, no one. And then verse uh, 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So, first of all, he said, uh, well, first of all, we don't know when he's coming back. <laughs> I guess that's the bottom line. That's what the Bible says. We don't know when you're coming back. Lord, the angels don't even know. If they don't know, how do we think we're going to know? Jesus later said in Acts, he didn't know. The Son doesn't know. Only the Father knows. Okay? So, if anyone claims they know specifically when Christ will return, they are to be automatically considered wrong. Automatically. Don't even list. Somebody gives you a date and say, Bull. Bull. It's doo-doo, man. That's not true. You can't do that. Because Jesus said you were wrong. We don't even need to listen to such stuff. Turn them off. You know? 
But this is the next thing. He will also come back at an unexpected time. That's what he said. You've got to be ready. I could come back at any time unexpectedly. Not that he's going to sneak back, but he's saying he's going to come when we don't really think he's going to come. And the reason is he's saying to people, you've got to always be ready every day of your life. Because he's saying, I'm going to come back unexpectedly every day. Okay, are you with me? Now here's some signs that precede his coming. Can y'all hang in here a few more minutes? I know it's late, you know, we usually like to quit about this time, but signs that precede his coming. These are, these are some great things. Um, uh, Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Right? For nations or, or cultural groups or, or uh, races, actually, ethnos is the word, you know, like races will rise against races, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. 30,000 people, last time I heard him, one earthquake died couple weeks. 30,000 people. Oh, well, there's always been earthquakes, okay? And all these are the beginning of sorrows, though. That's what Jesus said at the beginning of sorrows. Did you know, and, and this is shocking to some people, in Revelations, it says that men will be killed by wild beasts in the end times. A lot of people don't think that's in the Bible. It's one of the plagues that are going to be released. I was reading in the paper yesterday where a, a cougar, a cougar, a 110-pound mountain lion, killed a cyclist killed this guy. He was out fixing his bike and it killed him. Drug him off somewhere and started burying him. And then there's another lady cyclist came by. He jumped her, grabbed her, jerked her off her bicycle and was dragging her up in the woods to kill her. And her friend happened to be there to fight for her. And then some other guys came. They were throwing rocks at this thing. Well, duh, there's people being killed by wild animals since the day of time. But the Bible says that's something that's going to happen. And you remember last week I told you it's, it's sort of like the sun rising and sunset, and Jesus said that. Things could be happening, you know, and we could be missing. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. I'm, you know, interested in that kind of stuff. And, you know, they will deliver you up to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, that's that, that antichrist spirit, it's going to abound in the earth. And it already is here, man. Lawlessness is here. You know, the love of many will grow cold. Well, we're seeing wars, famines, earthquakes, tribulations, many being offended. Who hadn't been offended? We're seeing these are always false prophets working signs and wonders. These, you know, prophetic, demonic prophetic things like uh, the guy who does talking to the dead, so-called so dead. He's really talking to demons. You know that John, is it John Edwards crossing over TV show? I've never seen it. He's talking to devils, man. That's who he's talking to, devils. And people believe that, yeah, he's talking to my dead loved one and comforting people through demonic. Imagine, I was imagining how tormented that guy's soul was going to be. I'm talking about on this earth. But these are a beginning of a of a counterfeit, demonic, prophetic move in the earth that's going to end up being in one of the most powerful things, the Antichrist who works signs and wonders. The Bible calls them lying signs and wonders. That's a, it's the beginning of this stuff. We're in the beginning stages. And lawless and love of many in the church will be growing cold. And we can flat slam that one down and say, that's happening. You know, I mean, there ain't no question about that if you hang around the church long enough. You know? And I think, that, you know, it says the birth pangs uh, the sorrows means birth pangs. The birth pangs have begun. 
you know, if you, you know, women know about that stuff. Men don't. They, women don't like men talking about that because they think you idiots. You don't really know about this stuff. But women having babies, they have these contraction things. <laughs> you know, they're things for the baby to be delivered. And they'll have one and then it'll wait. But, you know, the closer the baby gets, the closer those pains come. And just every once in a while, like an earthquake happens. That's a birth pain that shoots from heaven to the earth. It's a birth pain. Heaven fixing the birth, the return of Christ, and we need to wake up and see. Those are birth pains. All right, this is something profound to me. And this was shocking when I began doing some investigation about the tribulation. You know, it says in the beginning, it's, it's about the persecuted church. And I'm going to give you some facts. And I, this is one of the things I really wanted you to hear in verse 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's verse 9 of 24. But there, here's some facts. These are shocking facts. Shocking facts. Um, and I got these off in um, um, Focus on the Family Pastoral Ministries uh, site. They, that's where I've got this in right. So it's, you can, you know, bet those guys are very, you know, they gave references of everything. And I'm telling you, they had, you know, names of people and dates of where they got this information. So it's very documented. Currently, there are 60 nations persecuting Christians in the world right now. 60 nations. Over, listen to this, over 200 million Christians are facing persecution. Another 250 million deal with discrimination. That's, that's the largest group of people now being persecuted for their faith are Christians. The largest group of people, Christians, are being persecuted now. It is, listen to this. It is estimated that 480 Christians are being martyred every day. Think about today. 480 people are going to die for their faith. 480 people. That's shocking. Shocking. Well, it's not happening here. It's happening in the world. There's people dying because they're, they simply believe in Jesus Christ. Did you know in, in Pakistan, Pakistan has a law that says if you speak against Allah, it's a death penalty. And they have interpreted this to be this. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ and you accept him as your Savior, you are speaking against Allah and they will execute you. Recently they executed a 12-year-old girl for making a confession of faith in Christ. That's Pakistan. I mean, that's just one of the many things that are going on out there right under our very nose of people being persecuted for their faith. Tell me tribulation hadn't come. There were close to 100 million martyrs, Christian martyrs in the 20th century. 100 million people died. That's, that's mind-boggling. There were more Christians martyred in the 20th century than all the previous 19 centuries combined. Now, I admit there's more people on the earth now than there ever have been, total at one time, but that is, that's shocking. And more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than were killed in all the wars of the 20th century. Now that is sobering. Sobering. Here we are sitting over here. These people are dying. 480 people before they, they, we go to sleep good tonight are going to be killed simply because they made a confession. I mean, that is a shocking sign of the end times. And it also is a sermon. You know, one thing that really killed me when I was reading all this is they say these people have two prayer requests, two things they want, you to do, want us to do for them. One, pray for us. Two, if you can get a hold of a Bible, get it to us. That's all they're asking for. They're not asking to be taken out. They're just saying just pray for us, and if you can get me a Bible, I would be happy. 
You know, and we, you know, when we don't even read the Bible. And that was, that's why I, one of the reasons I wanted to share that word that was brought is that, you know, we've got to count the Word of God as precious. Because when we lose it, man, that's what we're going to... They're not wanting, don't pray for me to get free. Just give me a Bible and just pray I'd better make it through this and honor the Lord. It's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Y'all got just about a little, just a little bit more time? Who are you going to quit? Here's another sign. Verse 14. Uh, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel will be preached. All right, this is interesting. Okay? And I got this from Wycliffe, which is a tremendous ministry. 380 billion people in over 3,000 language groups still wait for the good news in their own language. There's 380 million people on this earth that do not have the Scriptures in their own language. It's another sobering thought about the Bible. God is really trying to say something else about hiding the Word in their heart. Uh, Wycliffe's vision is to have the Bible translated to all languages by the year 2025. That these 380 million people would have a Bible that they could read if they can read or somebody could read it to them. That means all languages... Listen to this. Now, this is what will get you. All languages will have heard the gospel message years earlier. It won't take to 2025. You know, they ain't going to wait to get the whole Bible. They'll get just enough. This is the gospel in your language. It will be years earlier. Okay? In 2025. And technology will likely shorten it because now they're using computer programs that they can take a language, this language is close to this language, and use these computers and technology. So this thing could happen way short. It could be in, in just a few short years before, you know, you know, the next five years, it could be done. Everybody could have the gospel. That's a pretty, pretty shocking thought. Jesus said it's going to happen before, the, before he returns. Everybody's going to get to hear the gospel. And there may be people, they don't have to wait. Until it, get, it gets recorded. Maybe somebody will be able to, you know, give gift of tongues and go preach it, you know. It could happen in days, literally. Um, I was just showing you some stuff from Wycliffe since they're the leaders. All right, let me give you another one. Um, verse 15 through 22, I don't want to read all that. Um, I want to read verse 29. It says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see heaven. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other or one end of heaven to the other. In other words, now that is what Jesus is saying about when he comes back. And I know this is going to be offensive to some of y'all, okay? But I'm just telling you, and I'm not saying, you know, there's a lot of verses, there's a lot, of, a lot of controversy over this, but this is what Jesus said. He said, after, and that word after is a real word in the real Bible, and it's also in Matthew, and it's, or it's, this is Matthew, it's also in Mark, and it's also in Luke, that same word after, the tribulation, he's going to come and he's going to gather, he's going to do this thing called the rapture. I know that's an offense to some people because uh, a lot of people believe in this doctrine called the pre-tribulation rapture. But this is the problem with the preacher. And I'm just saying, you've got to study the Word yourself. 
Don't just believe what I'm saying, okay? You get into the Word. You find out why, because you need to know this. But it's in there. Nowhere in the New Testament does it clearly say that the church will be taken out of the world before the tribulation. It just flat does not say that clearly anywhere. And I would be willing to bet this laptop this morning that you can't find it. Okay? And I love this laptop, and I'd be in trouble without it. So I'm betting something that's important. Listen to this. The doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture is an inference, or they've read something, that's what an inference is, you're reading something too, of several passages, all of which are very disputed. They're disputed that they mean that. One of the problems is, is they try to separate Israel and the church. That's how they get around some of this stuff. Well, that means that's for Israel. That's for the church. And there are things that are specific for Israel. There are things for specific for the church. But it just flat doesn't say it. And that's my problem with it. It don't say it. If it doesn't say it, why should we say it? We should say what the Bible says. This is another thing about the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. It was developed in the 1800s. That's when it first showed up. It didn't show up before then. None of the great men of God from, you know, from the birth of the church said anything about it. it was some, it's a Jezebite priest. <laughs> These guys came up with it. These guys sitting around didn't have anything else to do. You know, got to worrying about what was going to happen. And that's my opinion. I'll say that. And the problem is it's real popular in the Western church. That, it's popular here. But you go over there to those 200 million people who are being persecuted now. What are they going to say? They're going to say, you're crazy. Look what's happening to me. My family is being killed in front of me. You say there's no tribulation. It's a slap in their face, in my opinion. I, I could be wrong. I'm just telling you, my, my opinion is that is a bad deal to lean on that one. It really is. It's a bad deal. You can't prove it biblically. Uh, you know, and I know there's people who have this, and uh, I don't know. I just feel like it's not in the Word. I mean, that's just my opinion. And, I feel like, and I've searched it, and I feel like if a person was given the Bible and given every one out of every 13 verses that's in the New Testament on the end times and given them, and they didn't know anything about what anybody believed, and they read they would not come out saying there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. The only way people get it is when somebody teaches it to them. They taught them something that wasn't real, wasn't true. Now, if you're mad at me about that, I'm just trying to tell you, think about it in a different way. Ask God to speak to you. Amen? All right, here's some other signs. Romans 11, don't turn there unless you want to. The salvation of Israel. A very clear promise in Romans that there's going to be a salvation. There's going to be a move of God with the Jewish nation. Yeah, and we're going to be involved in that. Yeah, amen. Acts 2.17 promises a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. A major outpouring. We're not talking about some little deadly thing. We're talking about significant move of God where everybody's moving in gifts and everybody is just slam going, you know, going for it. Uh, Ephesians 4.13, a glorious church of unity, purity, and power in the earth. That is promise. Jesus is not going to come back for a wheezing bride. It's going to be a powerful church. I believe that's, that's true. All right, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse, in verse 3, we didn't finish it, verse 3, but there's going to be also a great falling away. Paul says that in that verse. And it also says the Antichrist himself, not just the spirit of Antichrist, but this person of an Antichrist, which the Bible has much to say about, will be revealed before the return of Christ because it talks about the Lord slaying that man. And he's, going to, you know, he's getting his good. So, 
The birth pangs have begun. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 5 and verse 19. Matthew 25 is also an end times chapter. Verse 5 uh, is, is in the middle of the parable of the ten foolish vir- or the, the ten virgins. Five foolish virgins, five wise virgins. Okay, and it says there's a delay in the bridegroom coming. He delayed, right? And we are living in that delay time. The other, in verse 19, is the parable of talent. That is an end time parable about our talents, about our gifts, about our callings, setting on them, holding them back. And it says, the, it says the Lord delayed a long time before He came back and brought those servants into, like, you know, you've got to give an account of what you've done. He waited a long time. We're living in that delay time right now, okay? And it's been a long delay. But there are warnings. There are warnings to us. And I'll tell you, this is one of the warnings I get. Possibly half the church... Five foolish virgins, five wise virgins. Half the church may not be ready for the return of Christ. Half of us. That means we could say, everybody on this side is not ready. Everybody on this side is ready. Or we can vice versa. Everybody on this side is not. Or y'all might want, hey, I'm divided up this way. Forget this, you know. Donald was sitting, Donald moved over to the side it was going to be. I know this is running late, but Revelations 22:20. Surely I am coming quickly. That is the very last thing that Jesus wrote, the very last red letters in your Bible. I'm coming quickly. That's what he's saying. And you think the last thing that Jesus said might be important, right? You know, you was writing your friends a letter, and this is the last thing you wanted to say to them. You would say something that was near and dear to your heart. In fact, in, in the last chapter of, of Revelation, he says it three times in that last chapter. Three times he's repeating himself. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I mean, that's what he's saying. And this is what you're going to do. If you connect into the spiritual realm right now, if you can really start listening and hearing in the spirit realm, you will hear the alarm bell. It's going off now. I've heard it. I've heard it all the time. It's, you know, it's crazy. Sound the alarm in my holy hill. Blow the trumpet in Zion. You know, there's alarm. And, it, and, and part of it is the Lord coming back for his, you know, Coming back, second return of Christ, the rapture of Christ. And I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I just know what the Bible says about it. You know, the date and all that. So the alarm is sounding. And that's the end. Amen? So let's just stand and pray and ask the Lord to help us. And You know, if you have a dispute about pre-tribulation, don't dispute me about it. Go to the Word. That's what I want you to do. I've thrown a lot of stuff out of you real quick this morning. But your job is not just to come in here and listen to somebody else tell you. Your job is to find it yourself. It's in there. Read it. It says it. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you the right interpretation of it. Amen? Marlon wants to say something. Um, when I was praying earlier on, um, uh, I mean, the things the worship team was singing, mostly, you know, the Spirit of the Lord was just fulfilling to me as He goes. And... Uh, there's two things that, that the Lord stuck in my mind to say, and they say that uh, some of us need to repent. I don't know why he said it. He said some of us need to repent, and he'll bring healing. And then the second thing he said was, he said, it's my living, uh, it's my active living word that transforms you from glory to glory. Now, I did not understand why he had told me that, but now hearing Baron preach about this you know it kind of makes sense 
So that there's two things to say. He says, repent and I will heal you. And then he says, you know, my living, my, my active living word is what transforms you from glory to glory. Because that's what we read. This is a living active word. Amen. Lord, we just really, you know, we want to be like what the last thing that was said in the Bible is, is Lord, come. And, Lord, we just ask you to help us. Lord, we don't want to be presumptuous with you this morning and assume we're ready and assume we understand all this and have all the facts. Lord, I confess to you, I do not, Lord. Lord, I don't. I don't know. I'm not an expert, Lord, on this. But, Lord, I do just, just cry out to you today that you would make your second return something that's real in us that's alive in us, just like your blood's alive in us, just like your grace is alive in us, just like your spirit's alive in us. Make the return of Christ something that we long for, something that we desire, something we have passion about, Lord. And it would cause us to live our lives today in accordance with your word, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray that one more time that you would release a hunger for the word of God on each one of us today. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for all you've done today. Lord, just help us to go out of here and, and take, take what you've said, take what you've done with us, and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.